0: I would also challenge people who are trying to break into RevOps, whether it's through sales or engineering or another path. Like being curious is important, leveraging the tool effectively is important. Being a part of those communities, like you said, is probably your best way to learn and take interesting ideas from other companies and apply it to your organization.
1: Welcome to the OpStars podcast, where we talk to revenue operations pros at the top of their game so that we can collectively support each other through the sharing of ideas, learning best practices, and discovering innovative new strategies. I'm your host, Don Athos. Thanks for joining us for another episode of the OpStars podcast. Today, I have with us Josh Hill, who has a uh, storied career at uh, RingCentral. He's a senior manager of marketing automation. And you worked over the seven and a half years through there to AVP of Marketing Technology. That is true. It's almost like RingCentral for you was almost the pinnacle of your career in that sense. You had a lot of other roles in marketing prior to RingCentral. Can you kind of walk us through what was your journey to get there? What, what sorts of roles did you do prior to that to prepare you to join RingCentral and do the great things that you did? I would say part of that, well, it looks like an accelerated career development is built on a
0: a long foundation of working really at an intersection of sales, marketing, and technology where I I did start out in sales as well as as kind of a technologist way back in the day and decided to move into marketing to do things more at scale. And that led to marketing operations and writing the first book on Marketo and being one of the leaders of the burgeoning marketing operations for the last 10 or 12 years, I I worked at a lot of media and technology companies, both as a consultant and full-time, you know, solved a lot of problems for startups and mid-sized companies. And then, you know, I said, I want to lead a team. I want to work at a large-scale system. Was fortunate enough to be brought into RingCentral at a critical moment, you know, just as we were really trying to scale up and go on that journey from 300 to 400 million to now you know 2 billion in revenue today so it's been quite a journey and i was really lucky to have a great boss and mentor and a great team of course and you know he really helped me focus more you know, how do i move from a tech focus to solving business outcomes not just being a marketo person but being you know, revenue operations gtm operations how do you see a wider view how do you help people manage their careers Like you said, over that seven-year period, I went from you know a couple of directs to a team of teams, working across many parts of the funnel as well as or the bow tie, if you will. And I think a lot of that rested on high development management style to be transparent, coach to be inclusive,
1: and support that growth journey for both people on my team, but also for the company as a whole. You know, one of the things I found in, in doing the podcast is you know a lot of folks you know they don't start in Revenue Operations. It is more of that journey. So like, you know, going from being in sales and then deciding want to head into the direction of marketing, having offered that, uh, the book. Oh, the book was Marketing Rockstar Guide to Marketo. But like, was what were some of the challenges and solutions that you countered taking what you had learned and put together for that book? Like, what were the things that you were running into that maybe you saw as something that you would figure other people that we're using Marketo would run into as well that kind of drove you to say, well, gee, you know, I'm running into this problem. Other people are probably run into this problem. I think I've solved this problem. So I'm gonna put together a book for it. Oh, well, yeah, that's exactly what all my talks
0: were and the book were about. Yeah. How do you do something? In the early days of the Marketo community, people were trading stories and kind of working with each other to solve problems. Like, how do you run a webinar? We all kind of know the steps of you need an invitation, you need to register people somehow, they need a link. And what happens during a webinar? What kind of data can you get? And none of this is documented anywhere. Even, you know, the full funnel system that they were selling at the time, there wasn't any documentation on how to actually use it. And through a combination of, you know, working with their staff and collaborating with other consultants, kind of all figured it out. And some of that documentation is on the community. Some of it was in the book. Some of it's in presentations over the years. I was just talking with a couple of folks at an event last week where we were reminiscing about how that process actually happened. And it was very organic. And it was really great that you know a vendor like Marketo enabled us to bring it together. But it also was because there was a gap in met. how do you use this software? They did kind of recognize that. As uh, some part, and one of the things to note, and just like Salesforce, you know, Marketo is a platform. It's at its heart, it's actually a workflow engine with a couple of unique marketing-specific functions. Some people will call it composable today, and it is. If you're good at if-then statements and kind of understanding you know, where you want to go, you can make it do just about anything. That was part of the fun at the time was, what could you get this thing to do? And the answer was almost anything, really.
1: And so really, I would imagine, like for me in RevOps and communities that I've been in, like Modern Sales Pros or Pavilion or things like that, I would imagine there were also probably Marketo user groups. People were trying to share like solutions that they had come up with, innovative ways that they were using Marketo, don't reinvent the wheel, you know, so I think it's a good point to show that part of doing that journey of being in RevOps is making sure you're part of those communities and participating in them because you can learn a lot from other folks in the way that they're using very powerful tools like marketo or salesforce i would say even a lean data you know some of the customers that i've talked to you ask them like what how are you using lean data today and they'll show off what they're doing and it would be something i would have never thought to have done that but like wow you can absolutely do that and that's a really innovative way of leveraging the platform so i imagine that you ran into a lot of that as well Absolutely. And I've, I just gave a lot of feedback to all the vendors over the years about how
0: to improve the product or change things or what kind of help you really needed. And I think if you're a product manager, those are probably the best places for ideas. And if you're not facilitating that or listening to the community, I think you take the product in a very different direction. A newsletter about product management today, and that was one of the key things. Are you chasing the competition because you think you have to, or are you actually solving the needs of people who are already on board? you know, should you, right? If the community is very small, maybe that's the discussion, right? But if it's, you got 10,000 people leveraging your platform and talking about it, maybe you should be solving some of the problems they keep bringing up because they're more likely to stay and love you. And I think that's hard for some executives to understand when they're looking at the wider space. I get that. This isn't a product management conversation.
1: I read a, I think it was a tweet someone had written that said, if you're in SaaS, you should be producing software that gets people promoted. That's the easiest way to really gain traction and momentum is if what you are creating is getting people moved up in their roles and in their career. Um, I think that's kind of an interesting metric to look at. Like, is what you are is the product that you are delivering getting people rewarded in their career through career progression because of the ways that they're using it and the ways that they're leveraging it. So, like exploiting that in any way you can is nothing. but will it end up nothing but benefiting you as an organization if you're able to do that.
0: Oh, absolutely, and I would say that, and I think a lot of people agree. And I told Phil and John this at Marketo that you know they changed my career, not just in terms of speed, but where I was going, what I enjoyed doing. And I know Marketo did that. I'm, I know HubSpot has done that for a lot of people, and plenty of other, and Salesforce in particular, <laughs> people have built huge careers and companies and on that platform. And you know, maybe not everything is going to become a Salesforce, but and I, I would also challenge people who are trying to break into RevOps, whether it's through sales or engineering or another path. Like Being curious is important. Leveraging the tool effectively is important. Being a part of those communities, like you said, is probably your best way to learn and take interesting ideas from other companies and apply it to your organization. I did that. A lot of other top people have done that. And that does get you promoted eventually, whether it's in this job or the next. And then, and then there are different kinds of communities after that. It's a good path. I think a lot of people can still take it.
1: And it's a definitely repeat. You see it over and over again. It's a very repeatable process across different organizations, industries, personalities. It is a way to elevate your own career by, by taking that tact, for sure. For marketing operations itself, we talked on the podcast about how revenue operations is sort of the umbrella of marketing operations, sales operations, customer success, partner, SDR, you know, all these different operational functions under revenue are kind of under that umbrella. But when you and I had talked, you noted that in in small companies, that revenue operations umbrella typically rolls up under sales. And then in medium-sized companies, it falls under operations. And in larger companies, it eventually reside under IT. I imagine, you know, being at companies that move through those different growth stages and then being in a RevOps organization that starts in sales, goes under operations, and then goes under IT, there's probably a lot of challenges there and then a lot of opportunities as well. Can you walk us through, like, what have you seen have been the benefits of each of those setups and what some of those challenges are?
0: Yeah, I think, you know, the size and the part of the corporate life cycle you're in can affect know where RevOps or the various functions end up. That's natural, right? Companies going from one person or half a person doing something to, you know, whole departments and organizations. I don't think there's any one perfect answer because each culture, each team is going to be a little bit different. You know, you're right that smaller orgs really only have one person and they might all report to sales or the biz ops person or just to marketing, right? What you're going to always encounter though is, the frame in which the manager or the executive or the company looks at things at that time. And that's going to change the priorities that you're focused on. Right. So having fallen under these situations myself, right? You know, for example, if marketing ops is under the CMO, which is pretty common, but the CMO happens to have a brand history rather than the demand background, which you know happens. They will tend to lean on brand and focus on the brand because that might have been why they were hired. And they're always going to look at things through that lens. And you're going to see all your conversations go about rebranding, customer experience. And all the projects you do will be about updating all your templates or your website or changing the experience of so those conversations seep into how you talk with sales. And that may not be good or bad. It's neither as long as you're achieving the desired goal, right? When I was under IT, and I originally came from an IT background back in the day, like I learned a lot from my colleagues, improving processes and polishing those off, up, you know, managing uptime, how do you handle incidents? You know, how do you get BRDs and UATs and do them better? And that was really helpful. We, I was applied and I some IT approaches to revenue operation, because they are platforms, technologies, just as much as a business process. But that tended to always be the conversation, and that can help, especially if you're planning to move up and take a wider view, it'd be better, right? Similarly with sales, right? RevOps is, you know, I'm sure you've heard plenty of right? And some sales leader just want reports. They want to focus on sales drag. They want to talk about making revenue faster or just get a sales offer out where you should just start spamming everybody, right? And you know, they may focus on CPQ or certain processes that are creating sales drag, right? And that makes sense, right? You should probably solve some of those problems. But that could come at the expense of other things that need to get done too. Depending on where things you know end up, you know there is a somewhat of a newer trend, which I think you see more large organizations where you have a business operations or a chief digital officer who may come from a variety of backgrounds, and that will change how they ask about KPIs. Right, a finance person might ask you to focus more on on what KPIs are you going to deliver? Right, how is that affecting the revenue? Other kinds of people may ask different kinds of questions and. You know, usually the CDO is looking to create more of a neutral central service organization, which is good, but you see people lean on their backgrounds and experiences and that influences what you end up working on.
1: I mean, that ties into really more of like what is the ROI of your tech stack? That necessarily isn't something that sales might be interested in, but it is something that is that you as a RevOps professional should take a more strategic look at. And I know that you had mentioned that one of your hallmark is really figuring out what is the ROI of my tech stack. So, what have you done there? Or what's your philosophy or methodology for calculating tech stack ROI?
0: I mean, ultimately, is it driving and supporting the business efficiently? You know, how do you decide if that's happening? Right. Well, I think a lot of people do struggle with that. And there was a webinar this morning trying to talk about that. And I have a talk in a couple of weeks to Mopsa Palooza about how do you calculate ROI? And it, creating a business case, helping people understand what, you know, why do we have a certain platform? You know, you need Salesforce. Everyone has to have Salesforce, right? But what does it really do for you? Part of it is it, it saves time for analysis, for workflow, for capturing data, for helping sales ideally be more efficient if you set up the business process correctly. And any time you want to change a process, build a tool, add a tool, so these are the questions you have to ask yourself, right? Are we setting time? Are we setting money in some way? are we saving people in some way? Can we repurpose all of that to better or higher priority projects after we finish this project? And understanding that total cost of ownership, understanding how we're going to accomplish that, and creating a business case is really critical. And I would say that the secret cost is ask. secret sauce is really like, can you stack all of that up? Can you take your automation gains? can you add them to any assumed future gains or growth factor that you're plugging in? if it's there? What about reduced software costs or consolidation or maybe the thing you're doing means we only need four licenses instead of 20 licenses to switching vendors or consolidating vendors save us money but it's it's all of these different things can be added up to show an roi you can often save your project if you add everything up because you realize that it impacts more than just you know automating a workflow And that's, to me, kind of the secret sauce. And this is where, you know, RevOps, you need to partner with finance. You need to partner with procurement. If you have a procurement person who can help you negotiate, but also navigate internal processes, help you understand what the executives are looking for when they approve something. That way you don't go in front of the committee or you don't kind of send something up and get shot down too early. And obviously, it depends on the size of the company, your own processes and culture, but No one can argue with hard numbers. You're going to back those up, right? And deliver those.
1: What would you say are the metrics that you have found that are overlooked, but crucial in kind of assessing that ROI? I think, well, in terms of ROI,
0: you have to tease out the whole process, right? So for example, you know, let's say you're doing a click-to-calendar tool. You don't currently have one. It seems like a no-brainer. Well, everyone should have it, right? But well, what does that really do for you? Accelerates creating meetings which means you can probably get more meetings. You can probably accelerate more in the funnel if you're taking a friction point out of you know, having sales in the process go back and forth. So if you do that, maybe you get 10% more meetings, 20%. You kind of have to guess. Maybe it's a reason guess. And then you have to make sure you track that and follow that up to see if that's really happening. Ideally, right? That's what you're supposed to do. I know a lot of people don't necessarily have time to do all that, but that would be my business case is not just, hey, we need that because everyone else is doing it. It's because it's going to increase the number of meetings, which increases this revenue, and we're going to pay for it because it's going to grow our business. Now, that growth story is really powerful, but over the last year, as I'm sure you know, it's a little harder to sell the growth story. So that's why you have to look at the total costs of ownership, right? Maybe you're replacing a more complex calendar tool, and now you can do new capabilities faster. Maybe the license costs are a lot less for this new tool. Who knows? But if you don't ask those kinds of questions, then you don't go anywhere. I think someone this morning was talking about, well, what's the ROI of knowing your your funnel transparency and your funnel rates? Well, you can make better decisions and optimize the business, right? And if you don't have an automated transparent funnel, then you're flying blind and then we're going to spend money on things we don't need. So I think whatever your number ends up being, right, that would be an ROI. So just kind of, I wouldn't say being creative maybe the wrong word, but looking around and saying, what? And asking why. Why do we do this? Why do we do this? Keep going down until we have a clear dollar figure. I did want to mention something that I think a lot of rev ops teams, a lot of salespeople kind of forget. And this is more of a KPI question, right? It's, are you looking at things like MQL recycle rates? Are you looking at wing back rates? Are you looking at research time? What's the impact of having a research team or an enrichment process Well, it saves sales some amount of hours? Can you quantify that? Yeah, you can. That means maybe they can work on two more deals a quarter, maybe. And I think a lot of companies forget that they can bring people back into the process depending on what the recycle code was, the downgrade code was, right? What's your win-back process really look like? Are you intervening before they cancel? Can you bring them back in six months if you treat them appropriately and have the right automation to kind of say, hey, we know you went with so-and-so, how's that going, right? Restart the conversation because people will come back to you. We can talk about a couple other things, but you know, there's a lot of other things that I think teams just don't get to.
1: I remember one of the most successful cadences we had at Sales Loft was what we called the close loss cadence. And so it was actually like when a sales rep had lost a deal, we had a it was very long tail cadence. So like went over the period of six months where we had value touch points. So it wasn't just like, hey, how are things going? But it would just be, you know, hey, we just published a new white paper Want to make sure you had it. In doing those touches, it was a way for that sales rep to stay in touch with that closed loss opportunity. And it was amazing the number of people that would be like, oh, hey, things actually aren't going well. I would love to talk to you again. They would have never thought to have called you. But if you were staying present and front of mind through this closed loss cadence, it provided the opportunity for that prospect to respond and volunteer that, yeah, things aren't going great, and my gosh, I'd love to talk to you. It's getting creative around those types of things. It's, it's also, it's just, for RevOps, I think it's just, it's measuring so many different things so that when you do make a change and you remeasure everything, you really have those data points to rely on to know, oh, yeah, this thing changed in the right direction because of something we did. And being able to call back to that, I think is it's just really, and again, that comes from measuring things that may seem like they make no sense, but they end up really benefiting you as a RevOps professional in the long term.
0: I would say those are some of my favorite programs because I thought they were relatively easy to build. They, you know, if you have the right content and that's, you know, help people build that journey and you can automate it for sales and take that burden off. them, And then you can tie it back to revenue. Those are the best campaigns because you could see the impact. A lot of emails just go into the ether, but, you know, a windback program or a recycle program, those you can tie to real money.
1: You know, you were on teams that moved through those different stages that we talked about, you know, being under sales, under operations, under IT. Obviously, a lot of times that coupled with going globally, you've had that experience of building and leading globally distributed teams. Could you share pitfalls that companies could look to avoid as they look to go global with their web ops function?
0: I think, you know, going global isn't, you know, a new thing to most companies. If you're a newer company or you haven't done it before, it can be a little taunting, right? So I definitely would ask any colleagues who are already doing it, and that's a lot of what I did, actually. You know, I'd say the first thing is to, whatever country you're choosing, have a good cultural understanding and have an ambassador who can work with you. You know, you can read all you want about you know, Filipino or Japanese or Indian workspaces, but you need an on the ground manager who can help bridge those gaps with you. Not just manage the team, but help you understand what's really going on, on the ground and in people's minds. So you can help them build careers. See, so help and help retain people and build them up because a lot of people won't be as direct as say Americans or Europeans, right? And I'm making a lot of assumption with the direction I'm going here, but that's my experience, right? You know, I think in some of these. Work culture is, you know, retention is hard because you can jump, get a pay bump. It's not really frowned upon to move around too much in some situations. You know, one of the critical things that I did, though, from the beginning is I said, everyone's part of the same team. We're not just throwing work over the wall. We understand that a lot of people are going to come from a BPO or call center kind of environment where everything is very rigid and you're in a very small cube and you've got people, your supervisor's looking over the the desk at 20 of you. I don't want to have that environment. I wouldn't want to be in that one. I'm not going to create one thing like that. And you can train people to get out of that, understand that I want their brains and their you know, ideas. And when people realize that, hey, I have a career here, I'm going to learn something more important. And you know, even if I only stay two years or three years or four years, I have a lot of options now in RevOps. And some of the best work has come out of those kinds of teams. I think that's a really crucial
1: if you're going to run a RevOps team globally. And, and succeed, right? How do you manage them remotely? I guess we're managing remote teams effectively across like pretty expansive, like if you're doing it globally, you're going to be going across time zones where people are going to be obviously asleep when you're awake. How do you effectively manage that?
0: We actually had a, um, a night shift, everyone worked US day. So that has its own challenges. But I was also trying to build out and mostly did a 24 hour cycle. I think there are different models depending on what you're trying to accomplish, the work culture, if a company's really focused on every one USA or they're okay with the 24-hour cycle. Because in a 24-hour cycle, you can have a lot of build, handoff, UAT, launch methodology. And that really requires good local managers, project managers as well, who can do a baton handoff. And if you thought through it, that can be really effective. right? You can really increase your velocity. You know, in a more night shift culture, yeah, it will reduce the number of people who are interested in the role. You will have to manage the inevitable thing where, you know, that's they might get married or have children, and not really want to do night shift anymore. And you may evolve, like I did, and then have more of a 24 hour culture, but it's not necessarily a concern. I mean, people have been doing global offices for decades. You just have to decide what model is going to work for you and have really good coordination points. And
1: Got it. I know you came from a sales background, obviously. So I think you fall into the same category as me, as you want to help other sales folks succeed. And one of the things you talked about is being able to help salespeople understand the types of people to target when they are prospecting. Are there any actionable insights or strategies for sales teams that you could share kind of on a high level? You know, a lot of what
0: RevOps, ops can do is obviously build the right platform, build the right structures, feed the data to sales, and try to highlight the accounts of the people that are more likely to ha- want to have a conversation or more likely to convert. Mm-hmm. That's a big help because when I was doing this, I thumb through hoovers and looked for people and their direct dials and navigated phone trees. And you know, sometimes you still have to do that. But the company having clear ICP by account, buying team, individuals by role, which are things the RevOps team can help you on, right? It, well, exactly, right. And p- pulling that definition from whoever is deciding some of these things and putting it into a good data structure that's clear, enriching and filling in the key data points. And look, you're not going to get 100% of the data points everyone wants, right? I'm not going to have everyone every executive cell per, cell phone in the system. Like You have to do some amount of work as a salesperson, let's be real. I'll help you get... of what you need to get the background going, making sure we're clear on where those, you know, what's good enough, what's good enough to go call somebody. But the next part is okay, what about that buying team? Does the salesperson understand who has to be in the buying team, especially if you're in B2B? How many of those people are really required to get the right conversation with the right traction? I don't know. You may only find one person is actively in the market, but they were told by 20 other people to go work on something. And there's situations where multiple people are are doing it. And you get these calls from salespeople saying, hey, I'm working with so-and-so, they mentioned you. And the the salesperson is doing their job to connect the dots in the organization, help build that buying team so they have the right conversation to drive forward. And RevOps can only get you so far and facilitate that and help the salesperson and support the salesperson. And I think that buying team thing tends to be missing. Both in the data structure as well as in, in flagging that hey, these three people out of the six you need seem to be active, or this account's active, but I don't know who is currently looking. Maybe you should start cold calling. I've done this, right? And you've done this as a salesperson, right? Sometimes you have no idea, but hey, you think this company is probably or this agency is going to work out. So you start to connect the dots for people, get them talking to each other, and certainly first and third party intent data can be used for this and. You know, I was talking with someone the other day on Slack about it. That the key part in all this data is having a good business process. You buy all this data and you're not injecting it in the right places. The salesperson isn't gonna do anything with it. Or they may never even see it. How are you planning to use this data? And I think that's where RevOps has to have that facilitate that conversation and make sure it's showing up in a way the salesperson's
1: actually gonna use it. Making it actionable in the right ways. Yeah. We talked a little bit too about planning for growth, and, and setting up metrics for growth, but then obviously being in a situation where we're, we're in an economic downturn, or at least being economically flat. So a lot of people are trying to figure out, you know, how do we continue to grow, but be able to reduce costs at the same time? And I know uh, when reading through your LinkedIn, one of the things that you mentioned as a significant achievement is being able to have cost reduction while still scaling output. So is there... What is the secret sauce there? What What is the thing that we should, you know, listeners should know, this is the thing you need to do right now in this economic downturn to make sure that you're scaling output while still able to uh, reduce cost? And I think you talked a little bit about it already, but is there anything, is there like a secret sauce to it? Ask really good questions. Probably not the answer people are looking for, but one of the
0: things you can do in these rev ops roles is ask a good question and say, okay. You're telling me you want to buy vendor X or you want to change process at Y. Um, help me understand your goal right? and get people to tease out what the journey is, what their real goal is, why they are saying this, so that you can offer the right solution at your job. They don't necessarily have to come up with the solution that's your job. So you know if they're telling you to go with vendor X, well, maybe you already have vendor Y and they can do it too. So now we don't have to spend money. Or maybe, oh, I just need to connect these two systems in a different way. I can solve it in 20 minutes or maybe it'd take me two weeks, but now we don't have to go out to the marketplace or we don't have to hire 10 people. And forcing people into a business case scenario where you say, hey, we want to do X, Y, Z, let's actually analyze if that's likely to succeed if that has a business case. right? People want to buy new technology, that may be fine as long as we've thought through total cost of ownership, what the benefit will be to the company, what that capability addition will actually add because Let's face it. I had one, three vendors doing almost the same thing. Two of them were actually ninety percent cheaper than one of them, and well, only one of them met everybody's requirements. You know, had some issues, but we could solve them really easily. And like, you could cancel these other tools and save hundreds of thousands of dollars. But those are all different approaches, right? You know, cost cutting, really questioning what we're doing, understanding the real business case around it. These are things you have to be good at, and be okay with people pushing back. <laughs> Because someone has their pet project, they don't really want to hear questions. But
1: the reality is the questions make it better. That's very true. And you also have to balance that with being careful not to put all your eggs in one vendor basket, either. There's downsides to that as well. And I think a lot of what we see in the in the RevOps world today is as these companies grow in valuations, they are doing more of the same thing across and like you said, you end up with five vendors that are all trying to do all five things that you had five vendors for before, but now they're all trying to do the same thing for you. Oh, yeah. Platform creep. Platform creep. Yes, that's a great uh, that's a great term for it, right? So you, you have someone that started in voice recording that's now doing forecasting. You had somebody in forecasting that's now doing sales engagement. You had somebody in sales engagement that's now doing call recording, right? You run into that and, you know, you obviously don't want to be chained to one solution in a way that you end up spending more in the long run for maybe mediocre technology when, you know, having the right point solution may have, even though more expensive upfront, may have been the better thing for you longer term. So you're an advocate of uh, best of breed point solutions? Generally, yes, but not always, right? Like, I mean, I can see the argument. I can see the argument for doing consolidation if, you know, that vendor is meets your requirements and excels in that particular category. I feel like some of these companies have acquired those point solutions that were maybe not the greatest (laughs) when they were standalone. So it's like, well, wait, just because it's part of you as a larger org, they still aren't great. Like, why would I want to do that? So it's like, you really have to, it's a hard balance, right? You got to balance between the cost savings of consolidating and the benefits to you and your organization for doing best of breed,
0: I generally agree. You know, most of the time, best of breed point solution. Sometimes you got to think about it, or you have the right constellation of platforms. I think I've seen this, you know, over many decades. With, between operating systems to companies like Salesforce, right, where they they think they have an adjacency they should own, but was that really the best thing for everyone? Maybe, maybe not. And you know, if you look at the actual cost, if you actually press salespeople on this, to your point. They may be the equivalent price, or it may be actually less if you went with the point solution, because you have the ability to manage it the way they wanted it to, and just as long as they are APIs, you can get it to do just about anything. I've seen things
1: the example I like to use is if Salesforce Chatter was that amazing, they would have never bought Slack. <laughs> you know, they I like
0: Salesforce Chatter. What happened to that? Oh
1: wait, no, no, it's still around. But I always see Chatter as it's basically engagement. It's kind of the engagement on your sales team for a record, because it all stays with the record. It's great in that sense, but it's not Slack, right? You look at Slack, and Slack's just worlds away from what Chatter became. If you were at a point where it's like, "Gee, do I want to go buy Slack, or do I want to do I want to buy Chatter?" Because you have you know, the consolidation play of buying Chatter probably was not the right thing. Slack was probably the better buy. And then to get the validation of like Salesforce going to acquire Slack, to, it's kind of funny. Having come from Yammer, when Chatter came out, we had Yammer. Yammer was Slack 10 years ago. <laughs> you know, it's kind of funny to see how that has changed over time and where that's gone it kind of makes me laugh. But that said, you know, with your background, what things do you see on the horizon? What emerging technologies are going to be playing a significant role in the RevOps space in the next year, two years. And everyone's talking about AI. I think the key overlooked area
0: is process variance methodology. I would look at Six Sigma as a reason to do that, right? And if you can apply it to your funnel, you can apply it to your data processes, any process. Do you understand the trailing 12-month average and what variance you want to allow for whatever that process is before you have to investigate an issue? And that can give you a lot of early warnings about both revenue as well as internal system issues. I don't think enough people use it. So I, I wouldn't say that's a trend, but I would say that's something people need to start doing. And B2B Omni channel, I think is going to get talked more about, there seem to be more and more tools capable of handling that in a single pane of glass and building those journeys more efficiently will start to happen. Now, AI I would say if you're going to be successful with AI, the first thing is to focus on practical areas. Can you use something like ChatGPT for a real funnel issue? Can you automate something? You know, I saw a great presentation from my plan at Workato where they automated all of these follow-up processes using ChatGPT and Slack and Marketo and Workato, of course, right? But that was you know really thoughtful process. It's all you have to do to create something is just think about how you want to do it enrichment. You know, if you've got a research team, if you've got any sort of enrichment process trying to give salespeople the background on an account, better data, or stop them from going out and researching things when they don't need to, I mean, AI is a natural way to solve that, as long as you have the right prompts. And I think the holy grail of journey creation and optimization, next best asset, those kinds of things, I think that's increasingly possible. But if that's the first thing that comes to your mind as a, a RevOps pro, I would say put that aside. Just try to get good at a couple of smaller use cases, and then we can try to go to journey creation, because that's a very different thing to try. And I think
1: I wouldn't stake my career on that today, maybe in a couple of years. Awesome. Is there anything else you'd like to leave uh, listeners with
0: as we wrap up? Always understand the
1: requirement. Document it, understand it, know it, ask why, right? I think that's the one thing, the one thing that's the biggest thing to align with stakeholders understand awesome well uh josh thank you so much for for joining us on this episode it was great to talk to you it was good having you on and um we have a great day here glad to be here don the opstars podcast is brought to you by lean data to find out more about us and our suite of salesforce native products for marketing sales and revenue operations head to leandata.com and then make sure to search for OpStars in Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Google Podcasts, or anywhere else that podcasts are found. Make sure to click subscribe so you don't miss on any future episodes. On behalf of the team here at OpStars and Lean Data, thanks for listening.